0: It kind of reminds me of uh, what they just did in Inherent Vice. One movie I actually do compare it to is something like Inherent Vice. If you connect the dots in a movie like Inherent Vice, I did watch Inherent Vice.
1: What works for me in Inherent Vice... You've spent this entire episode talking about Inherent Vice. Exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah what suck. movie um, are we reviewing? I also went to go see uh, The Transporter Refueled.
1: God, every fucking week, man, you go see these bad movies with your dad. Look,
2: <laughs> look, man. Why? I don't, I don't... Why would you go? I don't know why I do it Last to week, myself. you
1: fucking talked about Hitman agent 47
3: come on wow. i don't
2: know why i do it to myself
3: i found out that actually polanski rewrote the end of the final scene it was supposed to be like a happy ending and <laughs> he's like nope not gonna happen
0: i'm just trying to figure out what a happy ending
1: would look like for this style of story like they just so. ride off into the sunset yeah, tragedy. Like with with jake waving his hat oh look
0: i did a dna test we're not actually <laughs> related <laughs>
2: Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, science.
3: there is. An infallible way. They won.
1: What's well, a casino.
2: People got to win sometimes.
1: Hey, what
2: do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. would
3: not happen. You fucking Momo. What's the matter with you?
4: Maybe it was a love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? I don't remember. I see if he starts I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the people's of Mesoamerica, or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well. Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain. Sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show, dog. With fucking papers, you can't board it. It gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter, fucking no. dog has fucking papers.
5: Over the line. Huh?
4: I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, welcome into episode 30 of Film Tank. I'm your host, Alex Diegman, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the classic film, Chinatown, that stars Jack Nicholson. Whoa, Alex, Chinatown is not the preferred nomenclature.
0: It's <laughs> a big Lebowski joke. Okay. You know, sometimes my jokes are hilarious, and yet you stare at me like they're not, and it really hurts my feelings.
1: Well, that's okay. You've you've gone off to bad starts on most of the recent episodes, so I'm just going to keep staring at you like It's like you don't want me to be here. We already kicked one person off the show, so... Shut up, man. (laughs) He'll be back someday. (laughs) Yeah. Kenny will join us someday. But as you may have noticed, Nick Cheney is here with us as usual today. I guess it doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) Wow. I like how you're keeping this really classy, so that's good. Anytime. Professional. Uh Dusan Egan also here as as usual.
2: Forget it, Nick. It's Asian American
0: town.
1: <laughs> Sorry, but if no
0: one's gonna laugh at my jokes, then I have to reciprocate. Fine asshole. <laughs> I was totally building off of yours. Whatever. <laughs> you build off a dead silence. You can't build off a joke that nobody laughed at.
1: Right. It wasn't yeah. just me who didn't laugh at it. It was actually everybody else, too. I think they it's were
0: following ever. your lead. Who was that voice?
1: Oh, that was a, a, uh, a new person. We um, should, you know what we should do? Sorry, oh, no.
0: right. I'm just saying, but like uh-huh. one of these future episodes, when we have another guest, we should have like a knocking sound <laughs> like, who's there? <laughs> <laughs> and then that's how we should introduce our sort new guest. I think we're gonna Fucking would be Mr. Awesome. Rogers shit here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't talk shit about Mr. Rogers. They just added the collection of episodes to Netflix. They did? Just, oh. Yeah. Where's my card again? Yeah.
3: Right? It's true.
2: How many seasons?
0: It's like it's just a collection of like 20 episodes or something. So okay. Barely any, but. Uh I know what I'm watching tonight.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we maybe in the future we will do that or we won't do that, you know.
0: I don't think we will.
1: probably not. The other voice uh who is the uh, the the new person on the show this week, uh her name is Erin Silk. She is joining us for the first time. Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> this is an awkward. Everybody's making it awkward. That's not good. This is why you're supposed to make bad jokes. Yeah, because to like break the ice. Yeah.
0: So or sure. I should
3: not act to come in. Or we Less should not. Then
1: yeah. we have a reason
0: to be like, hey, hello there. Who is How that? was your drive? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: I had no idea you were showing up. Proper etiquette. Did you watch the movie we we're going to talk about today? You know that That's be so weird. awkward because we watched that movie too. We we're planning on doing an episode. Holy shit. This is yeah. crazy. Wow. I know. We're fucking inventing the wheel here, let me tell you. I think so.
0: <laughs> I can, right now, I can see it uh, number one in iTunes store after this episode.
1: Seriously, though. I mean, we're going to go from not anybody listening at all to like 600,000 downloads this week, so <laughs> big jump. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> So, Aaron, uh, this episode's off to a great start. As if you've listened to previous episodes, uh, you know we usually get off to really good starts yep. on the show. Um, so why don't you tell the uh, listening audience a little bit about yourself in terms of what y- some of your favorite films are and also what your favorite uh, film genres are.
3: Sure. We'll start out with some movies. Um, it's kind of a crazy list, but that's all right. Uh, West Side Story, Fargo, Imitation Game, 500 Days of Summer, Royal Tenenbaums, Orange County, The Godfather, Up, Casablanca, Cran Torino, Some Like It Hot, There Will Be Blood, Young Frankenstein, and Back to the Future.
2: Holy crap, that's all over the place. It's a that's fun list. I know. That's, that's a, no, that's, that's good.
1: Yeah. So um, everything I've got out of that list, I just have to say, I heard all those names and they all sounded like pretty good films, but you like the Imitation Game a lot?
0: Yeah, okay. I
3: thought it was good. How about good. you guys?
1: But that was all right.
3: Hmm.
0: I was not a fan. I don't really no. like period pieces that much. He doesn't okay. like so, period enough. pieces or biopics. So. Well, yeah, and that yeah. was yeah. I was gonna yeah. say that was boring. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mm-hmm. but
1: I uh, I thought it was I got a little a little overrated for me. But I I'm glad to hear somebody you know really did enjoy it because I know a lot of people did and I just haven't had a chance to talk to many people about it because other than me and Nick I don't know anyone else. <laughs> saw it. Yeah, and the the Oscar voters.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Definitely. So, as far as genres are concerned, um, typically I go with comedy, thrillers, drama, and my guilty pleasure is romantic comedies. Sorry, guys.
1: That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with When I Met Sally
0: and that kind of thing. I've been watching a slew of uh, all of Audrey Hepburn's film lately and all all her, you know, like Roman holidays and all that, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with a good romantic comedy when it's done right. It's just like in today's day, they're just a little stale. Mm
5: -hmm. Mm -hmm. But
0: when they actually had like charisma, then that's when they're good.
5: Hmm.
1: Well put. thank you. I'm glad you appreciate me now. I always appreciate you. Always. You should know that.
0: I'm going to stay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, thank you for giving the audience kind of an idea of what movies you like, Aaron. Sure. And since uh, we usually do a week in review, and I guess we should do that again this week, um... <laughs> So, who wants to start us off? Uh, with I do. Movie? Okay. Well, I guess Nick wants to go first. Holy well,
0: shit. let's see so some of the movies I've watched. I'm not going to talk about all of them because if I were to do that, we'd be here for a while. Yeah. Didn't you like get a new job or something like that? Why have you had all this I time? I did. To watch it's really still... weird because it's like I got a promotion and now I'm watching more films than I ever have. But it's because I bought a new TV. Oh, there you go. That'll do it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> One of the, oh, one thing I watched was, uh, I'm not going to pronounce his name because I'm racist and lazy, but um, the, the original, <laughs> I'm not actually racist, but I feel like every time I mispronounce a foreign person's name then I mm-hmm. feel racist. It's just,
3: you probably shouldn't say that with a guest here. Just... That is true. <laughs>
0: um, but I watched Insomnia the original Norwegian mm. film ah. uh, that Christopher Nolan's movie is based off of. Mm. And I did not like it. <laughs> I was not a fan. Um, this was the first time that I've actually... I'll support and defend a Nolan film because I've always thought that Nolan's movie was underrated. And now having seen the original, I think it's even more so because that's one of the few times when I've seen someone take a, you know the source material and actually approve upon it. It was just... It had a very uh, tenuous grasp on psychology because it just yeah the main character if you don't know anything about the plot it's just about a detective who accidentally makes a grave mistake during one of his cases and then it starts to haunt him as he's also in a land in which there's you know sun like twenty hours a day and whatnot so he starts to slowly go crazy. However, in Insomnia, uh, Nolan's version, he does a great job of like deftly handling the whole. Uh, is he really going crazy or does he just need sleep and kind of mixing it and being a little more subtle here. It's like he makes this mistake and then he goes from zero to 60 and nothing because he just starts like raping people like the next scene. Like it's just so random as far as how he goes from, uh, from yeah, from one to another that I just was not on board. And this uh, a European film. Norwegian, so okay. um also it stars Stellan's Cars and Ooh. you know it is native uh tongue and whatnot. and um yeah, it's just not a not a fan um another movie I watched I rewatched I should say, was Shallow Grave, which I believe is danny Boyle's first film, maybe I, yeah, I want to say it is um, that's a fantastic film. It is about three uh flatmates in England who. <laughs> are looking for a four and they're like three of the biggest assholes in the world. And one of the funniest things in the beginning is when they're auditioning basically, uh, their these potential flatmates and they're just basically taking the piss out of every single one of them. Cause they pretty much hate everybody, but then they find one that they do like. And what ends up happening is he, uh, he's only, uh, basically applying to be a flatmate because he's going to kill himself in that room and accidentally leave a briefcase full of money behind. So it's like what these three friends do in the wake of finding the body and the money and what should they should they turn them in or whatever um or turn it over to the police I should say. And hmm. so uh it's it's very Hitchcockian because it starts to play on the suspense of what these friends will do to each other uh when they have conflicting ideas, you know, on what uh, it stars. You, you McGregor in his very first film role, oh. uh, Christopher Eccleston in one of his earliest roles, and it's just one of the funniest and like nastiest films I've ever seen that Hitchcock didn't make because it it really does feel like one of his uh, films
1: with Danny Boyle's like very kinetic energy. Speaking of Danny Boyle, what does uh, everybody think about Train Spotting too?
0: Yeah, I literally <clears throat> I watched this movie like right before I read that announcement, and I was like yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i do think he's a far quiet uh, far cry far cry away from the 90s when he was making really good films uh but i just don't understand that's one of the most pointless like sequel ideas i've ever heard have you seen transponing
5: yeah sure. i've not
0: you have not yeah. You yeah i mean does that movie strike you as something that has a sequel in it i mean as far as like who would really want an update on these like characters that basically all like kill themselves with drugs i,
1: I guess there could be nah. curiosity about what happening happened to ewan mcgregor's character because uh if you've seen the film he yeah. leaves in kind of a odd circumstance and and it does leave open of what he's going to do with the rest of his life but right. um lots of other films too and they don't have yeah. sequels so and it's clear when they made that film that
0: there was no you know door open for the sequel as far as like what you're talking about there's a difference between Leaving a thread open because that's life, and that's you know the way that story ends. I like that. And yet, also like leaving a thread open because oh no, if we're gonna make another movie, we have to continue it from here. Like there's just nothing. I'm not a fan about of that. About it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: At the same time, though, I feel like this is something that is somewhat unique because we don't get that many updates on stories that you feel like were closed. 25 years ago, and it could be a a complete fucking dumpster fire. But we're (laughs) living in the age of
0: Kickstarter when that's happening more and more uh, frequently. And I know that's TV, but it's the same principle as far as, yeah, like, let's update uh, Twin Peaks and show it 25 years in the future, which I admittedly, that makes me a hypocrite because I'm excited for the Twin Peaks revival because I felt like that got chipped. But, but that's, that, a, that's a difference between a show getting canceled before it gets to end and a movie apparently not, uh, I don't know, saying all it needed to say but in the that first case, time around.
2: Twin Peaks did actually have a thread that arguably could be both of those that yeah. you just talked about. Like the whole I'll see you
0: in 25 years thing? Yeah. Right. I mean, that literally sets up for something 25 years down the road. But I guess the other thing is the reason why training spotting worked was because most of the talent behind the camera – was, I would say, untested. Like, Shallow Grave was a massively popular film that led to train spotting getting made, mm-hmm. but Danny Boyle himself was still not as <laughs> proven as he is now, and he really broke out onto the scene. And, um, same thing with Ewan McGregor and Johnny Lee Miller. Like, um, if we fast forward however many years it's been, what, 20 something? Yeah, something like that. 20, yeah. Um, like, will we still buy these characters that like you know like Ewan McGregor they're going to be
1: much different characters than they were in that film right and, and if it, they're not it's going to make no sense really. yeah
0: and there's something about watching like the 20 something you know uh, play be like drugged up, but like is it really the same like with basically my question is would he would any of these characters still be alive <laughs> because <I don't> <laughs> like if it took place because in present of,
2: day you're basically just like zooming in on a skeleton yeah. for like just gonna eight be on seconds well and sure. then smash cut to yeah. the end of the credits
1: it's just going to be a shot for shot uh, remake of um, the world world's end pretty much with one character (laughs) who's still like a huge drug addict and everyone else is like you need to move on gary (laughs) but yeah but uh so no i'm not excited
0: for train spotting 2 because i don't really think danny Boyle's made a good film in quite some time i mean not bad films but i don't know when and when he made the what is it slumdog millionaire i mean that was okay but i feel like 28 days later was a, but how long ago was that? That, that was, was like the early 2000s, right? But I mean, like the, his most recent out, but crop is like trans. Nobody remembered that. Yeah, and
1: other things like that. It's just like I don't know. Slumdog he's, Millionaire is very overrated, in my opinion. That was from
0: 2007. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, so that's that still at all. Yeah. That so that's what I mean. Like it's been a while since he's made any noise, so to speak. And now he does have what you call it coming up, right? Uh, jobs. Is he doing that? Yeah, yeah. And I have heard that that's actually getting pretty good reviews as far as, uh, cause it's just premiering right now in TIFF, but part of the reason why it's getting good reviews is because they're saying that Danny Boyle stepped back and it's not as, uh, directed as a lot of his most recent films because he started going off the deep end and becoming like a Guy Ritchie of like we need to have a camera spinning for no reason and like you know that kind of
1: stuff but um did, did,
2: sounds like a Batman like Adam <laughs> West transition
1: like <laughs> <da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. laughs> there we go it's way off base and it may have been from the other Jobs movie was Aaron Sorkin involved with this Steve Jobs film or yeah, I? yeah. with this with this
0: one, one. Yes. yeah yes. yeah I no thought. he it's like a new social network kind of collaboration where you have this uh, director with a very signature style coming up with Aaron uh, Sorkin's uh, very you know I don't know screwball but yet dark script type thing so I'm actually excited
1: for it yeah but mostly because of Sorkin's involvement yeah and I think Fassbender was a, a good choice to be. least <laughs> better than Ashton Kutcher <laughs> yeah. So Tucson, what about you? What did you, uh, you uh, watch this week on the old television? Too much Predator.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's another thing. There's this recurring joke about Predator that they like to give. You oh, shit it's not
0: about. a joke. It's serious. <laughs> Whatever we take it various... Real life.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, as Nick, as soon as you said uh, Stalin Skarsgård, my my ears perked up because I remembered. Oh wow! I watched that movie. I watched uh, *Nymphomaniac* Volume One with Alex and Nick uh, last week. And, boy, was that an experience. <laughs> that was great. Was I, it, did I, you like it? I did. I very much enjoyed that film. <laughs> oh, I was yeah. I was very much shocked. I thought it was really gross, but I thought it was really good, too.
1: You uh, were shocked? Oh, yeah. Uh, wait till you see part two.
2: Oh, man. Have you uh, not watched it yet? I, I haven't, like, mustered up the, the bravery to watch oh, part boy. two yet. Um, yeah. Uh, Stalin Skarsgård was good in that, even though he was more of, like, in a supplementary role. Mm.
0: Um, yeah. I I thought it was... Really cool. How do you like it compared to the other Von Trier films that you've seen? Uh, would you agree with me to just to lead the conversation, okay. if you don't mind? Yeah. Would Would you agree with me that you would recommend it to people who might have had a problem with some of his other works? At least based on Volume One, like there is a certain playfulness that's. In it, that's not really in films like *Melancholia* or uh, *Yeah Breaking the Waves* and that kind of.
2: I've I've only seen *Melancholia* and *Antichrist* uh, before this, so this is definitely the most lighthearted film compared to that, and I don't think that's
0: well. These th- those those two and I believe Nymphomania comprise a what he calls depression trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting to compare, it, especially because they all star Charlie um yeah. and they all have to do with either depression or basically like a metaphor for depression and whatnot but yeah, yeah but they're all very distinctly different films I,
2: I knew that nymphomaniac was willing to take the piss out of itself at some points just because it opened with a ramstein theme song which yeah. i did actually look yeah. up after the fact and i was like this is a pretty good song i like this song <laughs> it's like yeah um shia labeouf was in this movie and that what was, an accent that was really it was
1: really weird
2: it a little really weird. To can see can that. I
1: can I mention too? It bothered me the first time I saw the film, and it, it kind of got on my nerves this time too. What uh, what's Christian Slater going for with that accent he had? You thought that was really good. Oh, okay. I, I don't I don't know, but I I don't notice his
0: accent the same way I notice like Shia LaBeouf's accent. Well, mm-hmm. He literally talks like he had the penis in his mouth, like which is not a bad thing. Whoa! I'm just saying, like it's like what you know, remove it and then talk. Like it's just. <laughs> But Christian Slater, I didn't even notice he really had an accent because I, I actually I really like his performance in the movie.
1: I do too, but uh, he has this like weird, like um, American trying to do this weird bad Ian McClellan hmm. deepish accent going on, and I, I don't know. It was just kind of is odd to as me. bad
2: as John Malkovich in Rounders. Oh, no, no. <laughs>
1: You just saw the movie. Come yeah, on, man. I'm, I'm asking for your opinion, though. It No. it's. I don't I, think anything is as bad as that. Yeah. Well, John Malkovich was just going off the wall and not giving a shit about anything in that film, where Christian Slater is going for realism more mm-hmm. in this film. I just didn't think – I just thought it was kind of weird. But
2: There there was one scene that I know that you guys were anticipating my reaction to in regards to uh, Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I totally lost my shit at that that scene. I, I thought it was the most hilarious, awkward, cringeworthy thing I've seen in a long time. And right. I actually enjoyed myself.
0: It says a lot that that's one, if not the most, provocative scene in the entire film. When, like, all the other scenes are actually filled with things that are normally seen as provoc, whatever you call it. Because it's, uh, it's really the only scene that has nothing to do with, like... Uh, Showing sexual intercourse or violence for the most part. You know, whatever. It's just the most awkward conversation you'll ever see in film in quite some time.
5: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, Besides that, I also went to go see uh, The Transporter Refueled.
1: God, every fucking week, man, you go see these bad movies with your dad.
2: Look. (laughs) Look, man, why? I don't I why don't why would you go? I don't know why I do it. Last to week you fucking
1: talked about Hitman Agent forty seven.
3: Come on. Wow. I don't
2: know why I do it to myself. So <laughs> are you guilted in
3: or do you kinda like bad movies? I
2: don't like them.
1: I don't know why I go to <laughs> Them, I know that I don't. I'm not gonna like them, but Toussaint. I still go to see them. Yeah, you you went to see both of the Purge films in theater. Oh my god!
0: And if there was a,
3: for bad movies, I'm not.
0: I don't want to
1: see them.
0: Tucson's dad, if you're listening, I just can't tell my dad no. Please like, stop it. If you go? love your son, you'll let him go. Hey,
2: Tucson,
3: you're better than this. Hey, come at least,
2: on. He, at least he agreed to like go see it falls with me. So oh, okay, here you, you go. go.
3: Yeah, he took that one. There you go.
2: Um. Yeah, the Transporter refueled. starred Ed, Ed Screen instead of, uh what's his name? Jason Statham? Jason Statham, yeah. They're all interchangeable, like, brutish, like, foreign guys that blow up shit. I don't know.
1: He, this guy's interchangeable with this, Jason this, Statham? Yeah, what the really hell? Actually, Jason fucking Statham? Actually,
2: Jason Statham had more personality, and I never thought I would ever say that sentence, than Ed Screen. Because he is just... A blank slate. He has nothing to him, and this film was totally unnecessary. And it also had like you know how like in in action films like there's a the atypical like club scene with the bad guys, and they have like either licensed hip hop or like a fake hip hop like new wave or, like, electronic song? Or... yeah something in the background or whatever. This had and and this just bothered me personally. This was like bad hip hop Mad Libs. It was, it was such a shitty song. And it just totally... I, it, for some reason, I zoned in on that as like, this is the shittiest movie ever.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Well, you keep saying that every time. We're like, was it worse than Unfinished Business? Yeah. Was yeah. it worse than Hitman 47? Yeah, it was fucking shit. They just keep on getting worse, man.
2: Actually... <laughs> but you keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Aw, yeah. okay. Actually, let's see. Let's rank this. Okay. <laughs> Transporter Refueled. Hitman.
0: Okay, the audience can't see yeah. you moving your fingers. Hitman,
2: <laughs> the man from Uncle. Are you going best to worse up or down? Yeah, that's worse to most tolerable. So
0: the transporter refueled was the worst.
2: Yes, oh. it was worse than unfinished business. I didn't even put unfinished
0: business on there. That's how bad it was.
1: Yeah, I feel like on like the really really bad movie ranking this this year. I've only seen like 3 movies that I would consider awful.
2: So, I don't know. Maybe you just don't watch shitty movies. No. Maybe I should just like take a take a hint and just like fall after you and not
1: go see these shitty movies. I think it's so funny that you and your dad go to see all these like off-brand movies, but you guys didn't go see Terminator. How did that happen? I don't know. He actually I asked him if he
2: wanted to go see Terminator and he was like I heard that was shit. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like that was so bad. He did not want to go wow. see that.
1: Uh, there you go. Yeah. Or was it? So good. No, no, dude. You know we're not even to joke about that. I'm Wanna sorry. Look back I can't like it. I can't. Yeah. I can't even do it, man. I can't even like go there. I can't even go to that place. It was so bad. <laughs> wow. Don't go to that place. I can't do it. So, Aaron, how about you? Uh, what have you been watching there the last uh, week or so?
3: Well, I had the horrible experience of watching Amazing Spider Man 2.
1: It wasn't so amazing.
0: I'm oh, sorry.
3: <laughs> anything but amazing. Um, I would say probably the worst part Teen Angst at its worst. <laughs> it was like, I love you, Gwen. No, I hate you. Get away. Don't go near me. No, I love you. Come back. No, my sperm is radioactive. Right. No, one
1: to, no, did not go there. Out of context, that could be a I was going to say, mark. I don't know
0: if we, uh, would that conversation even in this episode? I don't think so, no. I don't, I don't think know. so. We're, we're keeping it in, though. That's a deep yeah. cut, though, for anybody who's read the comics. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, I think probably what they, they couldn't even do one villain well, right? So, they had Jamie Foxx as the main villain, With right?
2: With weird, oily comb-over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his
3: gap in his tooth. Uh, It was bad. So they couldn't do that well. But hey, let's throw another villain in, right? Let's let's have Peter Parker's childhood friend come in, and he wants Spider-Man's blood because he's dying. And then Spider-Man's like, no, you can't have the blood. And he's like, oh, man, he couldn't act worth a shit. (laughs) And I think that's what bothered me the most, you know, uh, pretty much everybody else is like, ugh, you're a shitty actor, whatever, but this guy, it's like, who the fuck even hired him? Like, what happened? So, I don't know. It was just very disappointing. And I'm more upset, too, because people recommended this to me. Ooh, they were wow. like, this is pretty, it's pretty good. Are you sure like, they uh, weren't yeah. talking
2: about Spider-Man 2? Were the Tucson's
0: about? dad that recommended it?
2: Oh, God, it? no. <laughs>
3: yeah, he called me. Oh, my I'm God. Like, Go <laughs> see it.
2: Dad, no.
3: Yeah, so... <laughs> It was recommended to me, so I decided to give it a shot, and let's just say it was a waste of two hours. you got to cut
0: those people out of your life. I know. Yeah, you have bad friends. I <laughs> know. Maybe
3: I got them mad or something. I don't like, know. I'm going to get you back.
0: I was say, do you owe them money? Or? No.
3: But they're probably like, you're an asshole. Watch Spider-Man. <laughs>
0: well, that's one way to do it. Wow.
2: That is true. What's even worse about that film is that it was supposed to spawn a... Uh, a spin-off franchise for the Sinister a Six, Spider-Man
0: cinematic universe. Yeah,
2: actually, yeah, it's,
0: it's well, terrible.
1: Hasn't there been enough Spider-Man at this point? Though we've, we've talked about this. No, we, now, we but... need
2: more Spider-Man
0: everywhere. As long as they're white. Yeah, <laughs> that was a joke once again. Is one yep, of... I really? Know, I know that's Marvel's. Uh... <laughs> I know, unless it's in the comic. Do, wait, do they cast Spider-Man? I've already forgotten. Yeah, he's somebody. was
2: the kid with the mole on his chin.
0: Oh, Molchan. Yeah, yeah Molchan.
2: I know I mean, him. He didn't star in anything <laughs> else. Next and, door. <laughs> yeah, he didn't star in anything notable before that. He was just one of those kids that was like up for it. Yeah,
1: like, they passed over Asa Butterfield from uh, Ender's, *Ender's Game*, Ender's Game yeah. Yeah. for this unnamed child actor to play Spider-Man. Yeah. So you probably just didn't want to put Asa on the poster. Asa. Why? Because it's just a weird
0: name. It looks like it's like literally like something that's like not there. Like as a as a what? As a what? As, <laughs> as a, like, a it butterfield? Just leaves me hanging.
3: Okay. <laughs>
0: well, I'm waiting for you because I thought you would have to like.
3: Yeah, so what did you watch?
1: Oh, well, thank you very much for asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually somehow made it all the way here in this maze. I'm like, blasphemy. I actually you probably have all never seen this film. But uh, a film that I wanted to see when I was younger and never did, uh, and my wife and myself finally watched it a couple days ago Toy Story. Uh, Toy
2: Story? Yeah, I mean, you have haven't seen it and you've.
3: You haven't seen Toy Story. Yeah, you
1: haven't seen Toy Story. You were on the top yeah, six. It,
0: it was uh, literally in his list. That doesn't n- mean number he's, one. It on doesn't, doesn't mean list. he's seen it
1: though.
3: Lies.
0: <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. Okay? <laughs> I don't know. Toussaint <laughs> did a line of Coke before we started the
1: episode. <laughs> no, I didn't. It's been sitting over <laughs> thinking about Predator. I don't know. Uh, For want- the
0: record, I just want to make sure. Yep. I can't. I just want to know: Were you joking or were you not?
1: <laughs> I was joking. Okay. <laughs> He wasn't joking.
5: (laughs) Full shit. No, I I think he was. But, uh, Uh, yeah, none of us could tell. I was joking. (laughs) I
1: was making a joke. (laughs) We'll all believe you. No, we won't. Uh, The movie I'm talking about is... uh, Toy Story 2. uh, Yeah. Uh, the Man in the Iron Mask. Oh. Yeah. I've seen
3: it. Have I, you seen that? I have, years ago. Yeah. I,
1: is that with Leo? Why,
3: yeah. Yes. Leonardo DiCaprio, why did you watch it?
1: <laughs> um, my, my wife is a big Leonardo DiCaprio fan, mm. uh, and she had this film, and we just recently got back from Europe, and this uh, involves sort of involves the uh, Parisian monarchy. Uh, right the stories take some liberties um but
3: that's putting it lightly yes well you know what
1: they say give me liberty or give me death that's i don't sure. think what they say at the saw at the guillotine set at the guillotine that's the one probably weren't too many fans of that anyways this uh was the story of king louis the 14th and his secret twin brother who uh was the man in the iron mask oh. and uh, I actually, I feel really bad about this. I feel dirty, but I actually kind of enjoyed it. Oh
5: so come on, so dirty! <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen
1: it, so I can't say. anything. I haven't seen it either. It's not a good movie, but I is he like liked a vigilante it. only
2: in like that time?
1: No, it's weird because okay, here's kind of the setup. There are the three slash four musketeers. Oh, uh, there's only supposed to be three. Well, there's four, so oh, get with the program here.
0: Really is so taking, we're
3: setting off on the right foot, right? I was going to say, yeah. we're already taking four musketeers. too many
1: liberties for me to handle. So Ga- Gabrielle Byrne from. Uh, <sighs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, plays D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan. In this, yeah, in this, Wait, so uh, these
0: are the actual three yeah. Musketeers? Yeah, I was right. making the joke because oh, I no. just thought you were saying the word Musketeers. Nope, they're real. So this is like literally mixing franchises together? Oh, yeah. Oh, this wow. is mixing all
1: kinds of stuff. They were just called the Musketeers before this. So who musketeers. plays Spider Man in this one? Um unfortunately nobody because that probably would have made it far more fucking ridiculous. However, John Malkovich does play one of the uh musketeers if you must know. Is he does they have an accent? Uh actually no, he plays uh, it pretty straight in this film. Mm-hmm. Also uh Gerard Depardieu, who's a uh, very famous French actor is in this film. Yeah. And um One of my favorite actors of all time, with one of the greatest voices ever, Jeremy Irons is in this film. Yes, he's awesome. What a great voice! In addition to Leonardo DiCaprio, Um, yeah, it's a really bad movie, but I, I fucking enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was fun. I, I ate it up. I don't care about the history being totally fucking off. It was. I thought it was enjoyable. That's why you're watching it. But Leonardo
3: DiCaprio's acting... Oh, no, it's not good. Come on. Mm -hmm. Nope,
1: nope, nope. Very bad. This was, uh, I think, immediately after Titanic, and um, yeah, it was not good. You just just thought he was the king of the world.
5: Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I'll never let go!
1: Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, that's (laughs) kind of how this film came up, actually, because earlier in that same day, Emily and myself watched Titanic as well. Oh!
0: Wow, you watched... A three-hour movie and another movie in one day. That's right. Wait, so did I.
1: Okay. So, I <laughs> no, but I just up.
0: cannot believe I forgot to mention I watched Seven Samurai, but I'm not going to talk about
1: that. Oh, while. that's true. You did. That's yeah. right. What do you think? Oh,
0: can I? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched Seven Samurai. Uh, yes, you did. You very, just said that. I just wanted to make sure we all, we all know where this conversation is headed. Yeah. Okay. And this was the first time I'd ever watched it. Really? And, yeah, because I'd always been put off by the three and a half hour running time like Mm -hmm. you know you really got to be in that headspace so it was labor day and i'm like hey don't gotta go to work today throw this puppy on and i was not expecting to love it because i'm not into samurai films the same way i'm not into western films you know in american culture i just that whole mentality and just those stories for the most part bore me and i just don't give a shit but because it is kurosawa and it's one of the most uh you know
2: celebrated films yeah
0: like of all time Um, I'm like gotta watch it and I've had it on my shelf forever and I do like Kurosawa's direction even when I'm not digging the story but I gotta say it actually really really uh, engaged with me like it's one of those films that is three and a half hours long and yet that also seems like the right length for it even if it does sometimes drag like I mean that's just what happens when you watch a three-and-a-half-hour film, I think. It's not really the material's fault so much as we're now trained to go to a movie for only, you know... Two-and-a-half hours. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> only so gotten slightly shorter. But, like, you know, I I utilized the intermission in the movie, literally, which is restored on the Criterion disc. <laughs> like, it, you know, it comes up. I paused it. I didn't come back to it for another half hour or something. But, like, you know, I like get actually... I didn't feel like I was watching a three-and-a-half-hour movie, but it took everything that I don't normally like, which is this feels like the prototypical blockbuster because it's a very simple plot about what these ragtap, uh, rag-tap whatever group of samurais, but kind of not samurais because they're not like the honorable samurais you'd think they are. Ronin. They're, yes. Um, the Samurais without a master. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, And it's, you know, like, everybody gets their own little character moment. And it's just kind of like, literally, if you, like, map the way, like, the Avengers works at the movie, it it all kind of comes back to this movie. It's, like, people stealing, like, the story beats from it. And when I don't really like the... Action blockbusters of today, I, I really like this one for some reason because I just thought actually everything was pretty much earned, and there are a lot of character moments that really worked for me, and uh, Toshiro Meifune was fantastic. He doesn't yeah. even show up until the first hour.
1: If I remember correctly, because I've only seen Seven Samurai once, uh, his character is quite a bit toned down from Rashomon and uh, Throne of Blood. Is that is that Barely. correct? Barely. Okay.
0: It's like, because he actually, once again, he plays a... Uh, a crazy person yeah. because when he comes in he's actually pretending to be a samurai he's really a farmer um, and when he, he even like one of the jokes in the movie which that was the other thing like I was surprised how funny it was I mean not like I was like doubled over laughing or whatever
1: we are not shooting on any belly laughs during no, no. Seven Samurai but when you take
0: A it's age and B the fact that it's in a foreign language which I'm not racist but obviously comedy is very different to understand when you're only reading the you know text Right. Um, but I was surprised how funny this movie was. And, for example, his introduction is all based off of when he's trying to prove that he's a samurai, he's pointing to a family tree, and he's like, that's me. And then they do the math, and they're like, that means you're 13 years old. You, you, <laughs> you stole this from somebody. You know? But he, I mean, they're like, that's actually perfect for you, because he was like a hyper child just running around and screaming. So he, he was barely toned down. Okay. And he's definitely the best part of the movie. So he usually is. You get to see his butt throughout the entire movie, because for some reason, he's the only samurai that didn't wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it was just him but that's yeah so he really is like a 13 year old i guess uh but no it was fantastic and it's one of those that if you're like me and you like because i some people eat it up and some people love action films or whatever Then i say definitely watch it but if you're like me and you think you wouldn't like it because of all the things that you might think about it you should definitely still give it a try because it won me over and that's a pretty hard thing to do when you're uh, when you're three and a half hours long, Yep. So, we'll
1: have to do an episode about a Kurosawa movie someday. I, I think we will definitely. Maybe during a February, the
0: mm-hmm. downtime mm-hmm.
1: next year, if mm-hmm. we're okay, still we around then. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty morbid. I was, I was, Jeez. I was joking, wow. but you know, you guys can take it too seriously. Wah. I want to do Gattaca. You want to do Gattaca? <laughs> Gattaca, Yeah. We're just going to talk about I mean, Yeah, movies. we're talking about movies Bullies. that we maybe we, would we like to do to in do. future episodes. Well, That's I want to do the Rocky
0: and Bullwinkle live action movie starring Robert De Niro.
1: When
2: did that come out?
0: Like, I don't know, 2001. You can no. put that in the suggestion box. <laughs> but uh the suggestions Hey, we box, get to pick maybe. it when it comes to our turn. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm picking it. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait. So, today on this episode, we're talking about the 1974 film Chinatown, uh, the last uh, film filmed in uh, the U.S. by Roman Polanski. Was it really the last one?
0: Yep. Wow. I mean, I. Before he got
1: sent out because of that uh,
0: that business at
1: Jack Nicholson's house.
5: Before
0: we get into the film, but remember, I just remember this. I mentioned in the last episode, should we have a really quick discussion about separating the work and the artist or do you want to go straight into the movie we could do that if you guys want sure. I just just because it might be the only time that ever naturally gets brought up yeah now,
1: when you say separating the work and the artist you're saying knowing that someone <clears throat> has done bad things but still appreciating what yeah just done. like what
0: are everybody's individual feelings we're not gonna obviously we can mm-hmm. disagree and whatnot but like where do people stand on like whether do you draw the line at supporting it financially or do you just not watch the work at all type thing or do you watch it as long as it was made before that happened, you know, like right. it's, where where did that? So I'm just curious. Do you want me to start? I mean, for me, it's it's not a problem whatsoever. Like it maybe makes me a bad person, but I can completely hate an individual, but have no problem saying that like I like a person's work, like Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. um, and I'd even like I bought his movies on blu-ray and whatnot and i don't feel particularly sick about you know the fact that my money is going to him not because i condone what he does but that's not what that action to me means it just means that i want this movie and
1: i you know roman polanski is a weird kind of case because he had a he's had a lot of he had a lot of shit happen right around that time so it's um you know that was it's always been kind of a weird situation and but
0: it's also one of the most clear cut
1: cases like it's not like uh, Woody Allen or some of
0: the other ones Mm -hmm. where it's still ambiguous he he admitted to it and then he left the country right Right. he got prosecuted yeah and he
1: got the fuck out of here and And he's still making films
0: outside of the u.s than just importing them in right um and i still have no problem with that because some of my favorite films of the past five years or so have been some of his uh later day films like uh the ghostwriter and carnage Mm. um but i I just didn't know does anybody else have any strong feeling as far as like whether they just don't like you know, pay for people's movie like that, or I have uh, an
2: example of that, yeah. like especially in regards to uh, Ender's Game. Yeah, and the, oh, Orson the Scott Card. Orson Scott yeah. Card. Yeah, I um, I didn't read uh, Ender's Game until I, I didn't read Ender's Game until like college, oh, and right. I actually very much enjoyed wow. that. I read book.
0: a book before you did. Yeah, I, I read that. it in fifth grade.
2: Yeah, we didn't read that in fifth grade. We read like Fahrenheit 451. Um but Ender's Game, I really enjoyed it, and I was really looking forward to to the movie. And then I learned about some of Orson Scott Card's like personal unsavory—he's um, like, a homophobe, yeah—political you know, mm. um, mm. leanings. And I actually had to research this, and I actually like talked to one of my professors who um, happened to be a, a fan of the book and who happened to be you know, homosexual. And we we actually like talked about this. We like had like a conversation about it, and. It turns out that Orson Scott Card was not going to be paid anything from the gross of that film. They only paid him to acquire the property for it. So in that way, I felt okay um, supporting that film. I felt like, okay, going to the theater and actually watching, knowing that like Scott Like, Card has
0: already been paid. He's not going to get anything more out of this film. If you had researched it, it, because I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. hypothetically, if you had researched it and you had found, like, you know, the worst would be true as far as that he would be making profit. I'm just curious. Would that stop you from?
2: I think I I would still go see it, mostly because I think that the film is more representative of his work before. Well, first off, I think that there's a, a definite shift because I read Ender's Game and then I read The Speaker for the Dead. And those are both two really good books from early on in like his early time, like with the Ender series. And then, like I, I dipped into like some of the later books, and like his homophobia like crops up, <laughs> like like something at some, happened. At to some him. point, the dam just broke, and he decided to just be all hate all the time, twenty four seven. And I feel like you know, outside of my disagreeing disagreeing with that, I feel like his work suffered for that. Yeah along with just, like, in general, his entire work, just suffer for that. So I didn't want to support that, but I wanted to support a book that I very much enjoyed and that this really was the the best possible adaptation that that book could have gotten, yeah. especially now. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, if it's just one individual and, in a film, I mean, think about all the other actors and actresses mm-hmm. and the crews and yeah. who depend on that paycheck, That's you true. know? And so... I don't know if they're really talented. I can normally separate it. Um, But I just think of, you know, the crews and stuff like that. And even, you know, people at the studios and stuff like that. I mean, people depend on that. As their livelihood, and really, should one person ruin that?
0: It's crazy when people attribute like a paycheck to one person, it, like on something that, like you're saying, is so collaborative. Because it makes no sense when you say, "Well, if you support this, then you're supporting that person." But, but, like you're saying, no, you're supporting a lot of other people, and unfortunately, you're supporting him in the or her in the mix, and that's really the. I mean, that's with everything. I mean, right. every time you put money in Chick Fil A, or something, but, you know. What but I mean? then
2: again, how many people like actually look at the credits of a film and actually see? Not just like a like a scrolling like line of like text, but rather like the names of actual people, individual people, accumulated people who have actually right, worked right. all on this film
0: It's just knowledge is power type mentality because if you knew everything about every person that worked on a film, you could easily find another person that you'd be like, "Whoa,
1: do I really want to pay for that yeah, guy if, <laughs> if, if it turns out that the guy who was like The best boy or something like that is a rapist. Like you're gonna be like, well, fuck that movie forever.
0: Right. It's just like unfortunately, and this is sad to say, but like that's a fact of life. Uh, Now, obviously, if it's like some kind of guerrilla project, and you know, like it's it's like a three man project, and like the one person who spearheaded it brought it to a film festival. You know what I mean? And then nobody buys the film or something like that for distribution because of something that so and so did in the past. Like that kind of makes sense because that's them trying to get off on their own you know whatever but when it's like something especially in a major studio film or whatnot it's it's really hard to see it as like Supporting one person above all, because then you're also giving importance to that person, mm-hmm. which is the last thing you should be doing is to like give them that big of a platform. Right.
3: Well, well and I think people forget about you know pre-production, post-production, costumes. I mean, there's so many people involved in a film, so you just have to consider that
1: for sure. Well, I was going to say, kind of going off of what Toussaint was saying, where when someone's um, you know someone's personal beliefs and someone's personal life bleeds through to their work, I think that's when. It's not because I'm not going because I don't want to. I'm, I'm like taking a stance against them or something. Yeah. It's just because their product is now not good anymore, or it's not as good as it as it previously was. Um, I, I don't know if it's like a great example, but look at somebody like Mark Harmon. Who uh, there was it as Dan Harmon? Dan Harmon. Oh yeah. Yeah. sorry. fail. Dan Harmon. That's all right. It tells you how much I watch uh, his TV. television programs <laughs> or TV in general. Yeah. But I know he's pretty much generally regarded as one of the biggest assholes in the world, but he also... Depends does, who you ask. But he also... Well, yeah. <laughs> Nick, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I think he is one of the biggest assholes in the world. <laughs> but, but he also is uh, a terrific writer when he wants to be, but yeah. he also... So it's kind of hard to say with that's that kind of situation. There's but. some...
0: I mean, that I completely understand what you're saying. However, he's a big asshole, but that's like on a very petty, superficial yeah. level. It's not like he has like a you know, record of like actually being violent or, you know, or just something where it would actually matter because he's being an asshole to the people that apparently want to be in his life. So they're making that choice.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, a good
0: example of something that maybe the only time that I would draw a line, but I still haven't yet. So I still don't think is a really a whatever. It's when you have a person like... Woody Allen, uh, so to speak, and then you start to look at their uh, their works and you start to realize there's, a,
2: there's a very dark trend yeah there's here. an
0: undercurrent of what he's being accused of, and gee, why does he keep writing characters where he 's having sex with seventeen year olds or sixteen year olds and it, and now he's writing it in a way that is it, you know in the scripts universe it 's taboo and you know whatever, but it 's kind of like what is this fixation that we have here now because <laughs> because i've always technically took him to be like as someone who's the, his own harshest critic it's never bothered me in his films but i can understand why it would bother somebody else but like his most recent film *A Rational man uh one of the subplots in that is a college professor dating one of his college students uh and while that's slightly more legal than what he's being accused of uh it's still kind of like okay there's you either didn't do it or you really wanted to this whole time but when it's somebody like that it's still to me i don't know if anything, it might make his work better because then there's some kind of sick, genuine truth that he might be, you know, whether it's wrong or right, it's, you know, there's something real about it that might be disgusting, but it's also kind of like, you know, it does happen, and, well, he's writing from experience, I guess. I don't know. It's a weird
1: line. Can I uh, just kind of let's close this out by talking about something that I, I think will at least everyone will have somewhat of an opinion on, and it is pretty recent, so I think it'll be easy to uh, get a feeling on, but... If you were to sit down now and watch an episode of The Cosby Show, would you feel differently about it now than you would have three years ago? That's um, I have very strong opinions about that because
0: that's hitting me where I live, which is TV. Like I just I love <laughs> well, that's TV. why I wanted to ask. Yeah, w- weirdly enough, now of course here's the thing about the Cosby incident. Now that we have to obviously get into it too much but those accusations not in the same way today but they've been around forever so unfortunately that's our society's fault for just not acknowledging them in the first place Uh, so it's it's funny that now that it's a thing which thank god because at least now it is getting uh, publicity and whatnot it's like now it's a problem but before but weirdly enough I watched the pilot of the Cosby show because I always go back and watch old shows from the
1: very beginning and it's weird because he offers somebody a cup and it's really awkward right (laughs) no Uh,
0: (laughs) I watched See, <laughs> not where I was going with that. No? Okay. I watched the pilot of the uh, the Cosby show on a whim, because uh, I discovered they were either all on YouTube or something like that. I want to say, like, a week or two before this thing became what it is today. Um, and then it was one of those things where it's like, oh, like, I was planning on watching the Cosby show <laughs> and, you know, going through <laughs> Should that. Should I? Should I? <laughs> yeah, and so it's like I haven't gone back to watch it. However, yeah. I don't know if that's more of a, like... I feel like after some time, I would personally be able to do it because, A, once again, it's kind of like, are we really going to not acknowledge the fact that the show itself was one of the best shows as far as like showing family family values. Now, whether it's a hypocrite or you know whatever, sure. But like uh, Aaron was saying earlier, th- these are collaborative mediums, and he didn't write these scripts every day, and he didn't, You know, it's not like this is his stand-up comedy, so to speak, because that's another line. Like, would I support his stand-up routines where he's talking about Spanish Fly and repeatedly? Like, no, I probably wouldn't, because a, it's no longer funny, and b, he's just a big asshole. And now we see, you know, where it came from. But when it comes to works of art like TV or film, I still can't make that leap in logic, even if it's something as horribly sad as this, where I just would flat out not watch it. But I wouldn't begrudge anybody else who, who couldn't.
2: My opinion is that Bill Cosby is not Dr. Huxtable and that I'm able to separate the yeah. two and that I can see that the, the Cosby show – is still a staple of the American television landscape and it deserves to be if not if you can't if you can't enjoy it anymore then i think that it still merits to exist and still merits to be aired or even just collected in it, even just to be able to look at it as an artifact and to be able to study it for its time as a fixture of the American television landscape it's funny that you mentioned bill cosby because before like I came over to record this episode. I actually like looked up some of the uh, the details of Roman Polanski's uh, case. Case, and it turns out that quaaludes are a constant, apparently, between these two. And I was just like, "Oh man, that's that's really fucked up." Yeah, and I was like, "It's it's, it's kind of it, it's it's weird to see how Roman Polanski can can be prosecuted can skip out to another country. He continues to have." Uh, relatively successful career. I've only seen two Rowan Polanski films. Mind you, I've seen this Chinatown and I've seen the ninth gate. Um, And you have people here in the States. that are even petitioning and calling for him to be absolved of his crime. That's been going on for a long time for him to come back. And then you have like, what's going on now with Bill Cosby. And he's pretty much, this is pretty much the death knell of his professional career, if not legacy right. entirely. And it's just weird to see how, like, Roman Plansky has kind of, like, come back in a circle with some people, whereas, like, Cosby is just now, like, going over oh, the Oh, there's ring. no coming back. Yeah. yeah. There's no and, coming back. But here's the there's thing. There's no I think
0: what you're saying, though, is actually an interesting... And it sounds bad because both of what these two men did are both yeah. horrific things, so I'm not excusing the actions, but... There is a way to, I would say, move on from it. And I think Roman Polanski, even if it's somewhat whatever, okay, but at least pleading guilty and leaving the country (laughs) is 20 million times better than Bill Cosby, shut up, you know, I didn't do that, and also come see my comedy shows, and, you know, and also I'm still the greatest person who ever lived. (laughs) You know, there's a far cry between those two actions that make me much that's why I like I'm excited to talk about uh Chinatown tonight and yeah. um and I went and saw his latest film. No, I didn't see him in the theaters, but I almost did, a Venus and Furs last year, you know, because it it doesn't bother me as much as something like yeah, Bill Cosby's case does because there's we're A we're still in the middle of it. Uh we you know we haven't reached a, a comfortable endpoint. And B, it's it, it's it's watching a person dig himself even deeper into the tragedy.
3: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. He does not know how to speak. I'm
3: pretty.
0: No. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does not. Yeah, he gives a lot of rants about how the youth in America. I know. Are, yeah, are degenerates because they can't say their vowels or, Man, or whatever guy. it is. I don't, don't know. But guy. yeah. Anyway. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. Did, did anybody else have anything they wanted to bring up on this topic? No. Nope. Okay. I'm good. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah. I don't really have gate passes. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have that many more opinions than you guys have already brought up on bill Cosby other than it's funny. I watched all the introductions that mm-hmm. were like, cause they had a different one, I think for almost every season and yeah. they're just, it's cool to see them back to back like that. But yeah. Um, I just, I didn't love the Cosby show enough that I would go out of my way to watch it, but I don't think if it was on, I'd be like, Ugh, the Cosby show. Like yeah. even if I don't, I'm not a fan of bill Cosby. um, You have to also
0: acknowledge people like Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski. Their works, for whatever reason, have endured until, like, their, you know, crisis, whatever. And there's a reason for that. And it's it's unfortunate, like, what they've done is horrible, whatever. Which which makes it even
2: more problematic now, because there are people who, for some reason, cannot (laughs) reconcile the fact that these two people, the the fictional, like, performance of Cosby and the actual person are not the same person. And
0: I do think that's actually... a that's another problem that we need to diagnose, but not that we're going to do that. Yeah. But as far as one thing that we need to do, I think, as a society is stop with these goddamn tabloids and whatever, because mm-hmm. the more we think that celebrities need to live up to a certain standard, the more we'll, A, start to believe people when they say it 10 years ago that so-and-so was a rape, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and the more of this would not be as shocking, and the more that we would stop having these debates on whether we'd... And I know I'm the one who brought this up, but whether we should watch this work and start looking at, like, well, you know, the real issue, like, whether he did this or which uh, he did or whatever. Right. But it's kind of like actually putting our focus on things that are way more important. Tabloids are a
2: business that, by their trade, by their own admission, thrive on hyperbole and misinformation. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how... That is able to still exist now,
3: right? Well, and I think too, you know, Chinatown and Polanski, it's easier to separate it because he's behind the lens, right? But when you have somebody one glorious scene, right? But then you know you have um, Bill Cosby, and he's in front of the lens, and you're seeing him, and so I feel like I'm afraid that people are going to minimize the show because of that. Mm -hmm. So that's always and
0: that's understandable because it, it is hard to watch that image, and you know the other image of what you have.
1: Well and the Plansky uh, thing, I mean, that's what, thirty five years ago now? Mm-hmm. Thirty years ago. I mean, it, there's been time since then. There was no Twitter back then. There was no Facebook. There was no fire. you know, there was no fire to keep it burning. Um, and as you were mentioning, Nick, he's moved on, yeah. done things. I guess there is no France for uh, Bill Cosby to <laughs> run off to that extra to M T V US, but um, I think yeah. Yeah. the he, last he's probably he's probably done yeah. with his career. Yeah, no, I, I think the last thing
0: I'll say about this whole subject is that I think there's a difference between supporting somebody's work, so to speak, like going to see somebody's movie, like Roman Polanski's new movie, and like and the difference between if like he got charged, like and. But say there's another crime that he did or something like that. Let's just say he stopped making movies because of what happened to him. Like, in that situation, I'm not like, oh, you guys, you're not letting Roman Polanski make his movies, you assholes, you know. That has nothing to do with the crime that he committed. Like, if nature takes his course and deprives us of, you know, whatever his future plans are or something like that, that's totally fine. Curse (laughs) you, death! (laughs) That's what should happen or whatever. But... If it's happening, that can't, uh, you know, I can't like separate those two minds and not appreciate art
1: in its, you know, form. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. And I'm sure also that a lot of other people who are directors and actors are legitimately bad people in real life, and we just I was gonna say these are just it. the people right. we know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. So uh, the Roman Polanski film Chinatown, which we are talking about today, uh, is, I would say, a classic and involves uh, a private detective who is hired to expose an adulterer and he ends up finding himself in a web of deceit. Corruption and murder.
4: Listen to me, man. I want to tell you a story. So there's this guy, Walsh. You understand? He's tired of screwing his wife. Gee, so a wait problem. a second, Duffy. You're always in such a hurry. So his friend says to him, "Hey, why don't you do it like the Chinese do?" So he says, "Well, how do the Chinese do it?" And the guy says, "Well, the Chinese first they screw a little bit, then they stop and they go and uh, read a little Confucius. Come back, screw a little bit more, then they stop again. Go back and they screw a little Jake. bit more." Walsh, just listen to me for a second. You love this. Now, then they go back and they screw a little bit more, and then they go out and they contemplate the moon or something like that. Makes it more exciting. So now, the guy goes home and he starts screwing his home life. So he screws her for a little bit, and then he stops, and he goes out of the room, and he reads Life magazine. Then he goes back in, he starts screwing again, he says, excuse me for a minute, honey, and he goes out, and he smokes a cigarette. Now, his wife is getting sore as hell. He comes back in the room, he starts screwing again, he gets up to start to leave again to go look at the moon. She looks at him and says, hey, what's the matter with you? You're screwing just like a Chinaman. <laughs> Jesus. What uh, is your husband's first name?
5: Hollis. Alice Mulray.
4: Let's have us a big
1: smile. It seemed like all the rest. Just another routine investigation.
4: Do you know me? Well, no. You see, I'm Mrs. Evelyn Mulray. You know Mr. Mulray's wife? But for Jay Giddies, nothing is what it seems in Chinatown. She tells me she's you. She hires me. Now, whoever put her up to it doesn't have anything against me, they're out to get your husband. Isn't this something? In the middle of a drought in the water commissioner drowns.
5: A crime too bizarre to be real. You
4: know what happens to Nosy Fellas? Where were you when your husband died?
5: I think you know all you need know about me.
4: In case you're interested, your husband was murdered. A cover-up too evil to be true. I think you're hiding something. My daughter's a very jealous woman me this much. You
5: may think
4: you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't.
1: Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, John Huston. I said I want the truth! It was a case that became an obsession and murder was only the beginning. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. The film stars Jack Nicholson as Jake J.J. Giddies? Giddies? they All kinds of different Uh, pronunciations thrown around, especially from Noah Cross in that one scene where he calls him eight different names and it's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Also, Faye Dunaway plays Evelyn Mulray in the film. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, Noah Cross in here and some other uh, uh, people show up in this film like Roman Polanski playing his character the man with the knife. Uh, and he has that great scene where you know what happens to uh the nosy people they lose their noses and then he (laughs) fucking cuts his nose it's amazing that's the whole scene it's great uh and uh, this film was also uh written by robert town uh who won uh for the uh, best screenplay for this film and i guess we should mention that this film's screenplay has been uh noted by a lot of people as being kind of Was perfect. Yeah, one of the one of the tighter ones uh, of uh, of film history, at least uh, in the last fifty years or so. So, who wants to start us off? No one's really jumping. Aaron, which yeah, I I, I think you should start if you don't mind. Yeah, no, because you you chose this film. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, I would. I would say, you know, I really like the neo-noir aspect of this film as well. It's also just very visually appealing. You know, the costumes, the three-piece suits, um, the cinematography, I just couldn't get enough of it. So that aspect, I would say, you know, we were actually talking about this, Alex, about it being, you know, black and white versus color. But the color was just so vibrant that it was, I, I think it's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, I don't think black and white, for me personally, would have done this film. Um, it, it, I think it would have done a disservice, in my opinion. It's obviously shot for color. Yeah. like mm-hmm. even,
0: even with the noir backdrop.
1: But we see a lot of... Uh, I think this is a, a great decision by the cinematographer and Roman Polanski, too. But we see a lot of um, framing in this film that is done, uh, obviously, on purpose. But just creating these different layers between places. We saw this um, in the movie Stoker where they were in the, in the, in the house, they were in different rooms and you could see into different rooms. There's different layers of the frame. And I think we get this a lot in this film. I especially remember a scene where uh, Jake is out at the, um, I don't know. It's one of the times he's out by one of the dams or, or um, I think it's the uh, river that's gone pretty much completely dry and we see a bridge and a mountain and, uh, you know, a backdrop behind him and the ground by him. And there's all these different kind of layers that go by in the shot. And they all have different colors on them. And it it was just beautiful to look at. And it's a, a gorgeous film. And just um, kind of the filmmaking that, unfortunately, we don't have more of these days is pretty much everyone's went to digital and doesn't really give a shit about cinematography. so Yes and no. Well, I, I said a lot more people have gone to digital. Right. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah. we still have like Paul Thomas Anderson and people like that who are doing films.
5: Okay,
0: yeah, no, we've definitely gone almost all digital. I guess I was speaking of like cinematography in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you still have people like Lubezki and mm-hmm. Deacon, Obviously, knows how to shoot a scene.
1: That that is true, but yeah. I, I wish we had more of it. I right, guess is what right. I was going for. It is definitely becoming
0: one of the more obscure Oscar categories. Sadly, as far as like for the mainstream to actually know. <laughs> like names and who's and what it looks like and whatnot
1: that's true other uh, thoughts aaron
0: <clears throat>
3: yeah that? um actually some as i was kind of digging into this film and researching on it as well i found out that actually polanski rewrote the end of the final scene it was supposed to be like a happy ending and <laughs> he was like nope not gonna happen so i thought that was really interesting that he wanted it to end in tragedy
0: that definitely suits the the noir uh, you know mode of it because I'm just trying to figure out what a happy ending would look like for this style of story. Like they just so. ride off into the sunset. Yeah, tragedy like, <laughs> with with Jake waving his hat. Oh look, I did a DNA test. We're not actually <laughs> related. <laughs>
2: <laughs> tragedy uh, typifies film noir because it's always about like these um, kind of morally gray investigators like right. probing like this conspiracy, and usually they're not able to. Like, bring to light everything. They may be able to t- take down one thing, mm-hmm. but often it's all too little, too late. And either they have th- their cost something or yeah. a loved
0: one of theirs has mm-hmm. costed something. I was going to say, nobody gets everything in these nope. kind of movies. Right. Never. So,
3: well, and something that struck me too was when um, Ida Sessions calls him and she's like, Are you alone? And he responds, You know, how does he say it? Isn't everybody. Yeah. So. You know, that's the so emptiness. typical. The emptiness, it is everywhere. <laughs> so typical <laughs> yeah. of the The noir. loneliness. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: And Jack Nicholson, I gotta say, um, not to, like, jump in or whatever, but he is one of those people who feels like he's from that era mm-hmm. um, because especially, I would say, after probably around when he was doing Chinatown, that's when he started going to go into, like, Jack Nicholson mode, you know, <laughs> like wearing sunglasses at the Oscars, that, that sort of thing, <laughs> or waving an axe around, uh, you know, the... Uh, the Shining or whatever, but in that era when he was still kind of an up-and-coming actor, so to speak, and he was that kind of young, he looked like that kind of weirdly chiseled Clark Gable or, you know, like Humphrey he Bogart was, Yeah, and persona. even,
3: I haven't seen the movie in, a, in quite some time, and so seeing him how he is now and back then, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so striking. It's about Schmidt. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, uh, oh but, but and that's why that, like, casting him was perfect in yeah. that. Um, I can't imagine somebody in the 70s that could have actually, besides him, that could have captured that uh, in the same way that everybody does in the 40s. Yeah. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: It kind of reminds me of uh, what they just did in Heron Vice. I think Josh Brolin is also one of the – he's not the greatest actor, but he's one of the last of those, like, weirdly – I don't know, not emasculated, but, like – manly men as far mm. as, like, they just can't help it. Their affectation is just to be masculine. <laughs> <Right>?
1: <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Right. Yeah, Josh Brolin is someone who could play, like, Gaston in yeah. Beauty and the Beast or something like that. That's completely in his element. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
3: yeah. And I think Faye Dunaway, too, was a great pick for casting. I mean, just looking at her, she looks like she's from the 1930s, 1940s. So yeah. it was perfect. Yeah.
1: I think Faye Dunaway also, in this film, does a great job of playing... Early in the film, you're not really sure what to think about her as a character, but you're also not thinking she's like this – I wouldn't even say like deranged, but someone who has a lot of baggage where I I feel like – I felt like she was just kind of a, you know, a character who's struggling. When we find out more and more throughout the film that, yes, oh, she has this, and then, oh, it gets – Parlayed into something else, and then, oh, by the way, uh, I have a daughter with my father. Oh, shit.
0: The tonal shifts in this movie is it's kind of interesting to track. That's the one place where it starts to, I would say, drift away from noir, as far as it starts off like, you know, a pitch perfect recreation of noir, minus black and white, but it's so sh- shot beautifully in color that it doesn't matter, obviously. But as we get to about the halfway point, and we start to learn more about Faye Dunaway's character, and of course, uh, you know, her. Uh, her situation, so to speak, with the the daughter and whatnot uh, that 's when it becomes weirdly i don 't know like humanistic in a way mm. that noir films never are because mm. everybody 's in a in a prototypical noir film has to be like a kind of cardboard cut out archetype of a character you 're either a dame or you 're a you know a whatever
2: remember the uh, the beginning when he 's approaching his in there, there's that woman that says like I think my husband is cheating on me and it's like no really like he's already seen this before <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's, it's kind of like that shift from the prototypical yes. like side to the more humanistic side
0: exactly and that's the other thing is kind of like everybody's seen a noir film in the in this movie and that's cut, <laughs> because they, like what you're saying it's that's like, his livelihood yeah because um Doing the whole, like, private investigation, you know. It's just kind of funny. Like, there are little lines in here that just made me think that the movie itself was winking. Not the characters. But when he's, like, hands off the Venetia blinds. Like, that literally feels like a checklist. I just got them installed last week. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, everybody knows they're in a noir, but nobody's saying it type thing. Which I just, I thought was really playful uh, before it gets into a more dark territory. Mm
1: So, I saw this film for the first time probably like eight years ago in a uh, American Film Studies class. Uh, and at the time, I, I won't say that I didn't appreciate it as much, but I was watching it for school. Just like I watched Seven Samurai... Well, I was writing a paper for it, so I probably should watch it again just to enjoy it. (laughs) Uh, And this time, watching it through, I definitely enjoyed this film even more than uh, last time, especially the small things, like especially for me, uh, as a big fan of the Rocky series, we see uh, Burt Young, who plays Uncle Polly in the uh, Rocky films. He's actually in the first scene of this film, and then he shows up, obviously, later and plays not a pivotal role, but an important role in the uh, final scene of the film. And uh, I enjoyed seeing him, and I enjoyed uh, a lot of the other characters, and obviously Jack Nicholson. Uh, At least for me, uh, I loved every second he was on screen. I was eating it up. Uh, And I think my favorite part of the whole film, this is uh, such a a part that has nothing to do with the actual final outcome, but I loved it so much that I have to mention it. Uh, He's in the Hall of Records, and he's trying to get the actual records. He's like, can I... uh, can I uh, rent this book or something? And they're like, uh no, this is a hall of records, not a library. When you have a ruler, I'd really like to borrow a ruler. And he takes the ruler so he can rip the page out. <laughs> and in like true Jack, like this is like modern day. You see something Jack Nicholson do <laughs> in a film, puts the ruler on, goes to pull the sheet off, and just like lets out the biggest <laughs> 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 And oh man. It it's but what's great about that too. Is that it doesn't linger or anything? It cuts straight away from that to the next scene, and really, that's never mentioned again. And it's 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 oh, so much good right there. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean the oh, I was just gonna say Jack Nicholson, and really, I feel like the rest of the cast too is is great in this film. Even John Houston playing uh, Noah Cross, as we don't really see much of him uh, throughout the film. And actually, something that I think uh, is a weak part of this film is that I feel like it goes from the story that the film is on the entire time into this other story that's in the final act of the film which and i i know that it, that's was going for is this kind of surprise of the first time seeing it and being shocked by the story however i feel like we are forced to care about this noah cross character yet i really don't at the end of the end of are the we film. forced
0: to care about the character or about the storyline because i don't think that the film itself had like do you mean that, and then just so I know, like it's like we're supposed to have sympathy for Noah Cross? No, no, oh, not, okay. not sympathy.
1: Like, I'm supposed to... Um, like, get involved with Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I have a hard time get engaged by getting us. engaged in his character because okay. we see so little. Yeah. And honestly, we, we don't really know that much about him as a character. He's, right. he's supposed it, to be this mysterious it, character, it, but... It, it is a
0: big twist to so to speak not have uh yeah the the principal players around uh before the twist is really revealed i mean you only saw him like what once or twice before minimally i would say yeah. yeah um so i do agree with you there as far as like it, it for how for how much that changes the entire film it is an interesting uh decision to really yeah, to really, I don't know, quarantine it to that final act.
1: And I actually thought his performance was actually really good. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that final scene would have been way more uh, purposeful to me if we had seen more about him and learned more about him as the character, as he's, like, winning and taking the daughter-slash-granddaughter away and we, we pretty much are led to believe that he's won, he's got her, and his land deal is going to go through. And damn, his that's life, fucked up. His <laughs> yeah, life's fucking peachy, so... Right. yeah.
0: No, and I, I do think, like, as far as I hate the kind of criticism where, like, people will say, like, well, if I wrote the film, I'd do this, like... I'm gonna play that game for a second but I definitely don't think that (laughs) (laughs) that there would be something horrible about like um, including uh, Noah Cross's character from like the very beginning as far as like have him on the premises every time he sets foot on it and you know like almost have him be like friendly and whatever just in the same way he's very manipulative so that way when it did get revealed it's like the audience gets fooled too because when you watch it uh, for the first time like i don 't it 's not a twist that like the audience was like p- false prey to because you really had no idea that that was even like a possibility right so to speak but it that would have been kind of interesting as far as like to you know I don't know, play with the audience expectations. Here, it's just kind of like, oh, like that's a twist because I didn't realize that we were watching that kind of movie kind of twist. Yeah. Right.
3: Well, and I would agree. I mean, with Cross, when Jake goes to visit Cross, I mean, it's it's a pretty normal conversation. And then the final scene, it's like, whoa, he's really creepy. But yeah. you're not emotionally invested. I wasn't at least to this character. Yeah.
0: Like, you know, just even a few moments of, like, if Noah Cross, like, you know, put his hand on her shoulder, just something like that, like, which in, before you see the twist could have maybe weird context, but just could be like, oh, he's just one of those slimy fathers that thinks everything's peachy. And then you're like, oh, no, really, he's just a much worse person than we all saw because we just weren't paying close enough attention. Well,
1: and I think that would have made the the final scene more effective, too. I agree. Um, And it comes out to a... The film. film, Yeah, and it's it's hard because I feel like I want to compare this to other films where we have weird things happening with characters. Um, and I feel like if I bring up examples, I'm going to ruin <laughs> other films. So I'm not going to. But uh, I feel like other films that I've seen have done a better job playing up the other characters. And then we find about find out about them in the final act. It really hits home, uh, especially in the one example I'm thinking of that I won't mention. Okay. Uh,
0: I'll be curious to know what you think or what, what that example is it, after the episode. It really shouldn't be that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think
1: you'd be able to figure it out pretty easily, I would guess. But
0: I think I will probably by the end of the episode. I am mean, going will actually blurt it out and be like, <laughs> oh, you
1: were thinking about. Um, <laughs> but what I think
0: we're all talking about now is that the film is kind of hurt by Jack's uh, Jack Nicholson, not, but Jake, uh, so to speak limited pov like this is from his perspective so therefore we can't see anything that he doesn't see and therefore we can't learn at a pace that he's not learning and i think that's maybe the film's biggest i would say uh weakness for me really yeah because uh, do you want me to kind of go into my general thoughts uh, as far as like i i have a weird relationship with this movie um where I, you know, I normally, I'm, I'm normally all about this kind of thing because I, I'm very into classics. I, I love noir. Uh, you know, like there's really nothing about this movie that shouldn't work for me. However, this was the first time that I've actually watched it start to finish. No
5: way. I mean, I I
0: knew about the twist and I've seen pretty much every scene before. It's, it's, it's like one of those movies I've always seen on TV and then watched just, out of order, so to speak. And then there were other days where I turned it on with the intent of finishing it, and then I was like, oh, I got to go do homework or something or
1: whatever. So <laughs> I have to go watch four other movies. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> so I have to thank Aaron for finally making me watch this uh, from start to finish. However, it did kind of confirm what I've always felt about this movie, which is that there is... Something about the way Polanski directs the script that doesn't work for me, not visually, because I agree there as far as, but that's half the reason why I I do quite enjoy watching it. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but that's what does keep me invested throughout the whole thing, is that it does look gorgeous. But when it it comes to how Polanski is pacing the script, I kind of compare it, even though uh it's futile but to rosemary's baby uh, his other film from i think slightly before that mm-hmm. um and what works everything that works about polanski's direction in that movie is exactly why i'm not a big fan of chinatown which is i feel like he is a horror director at heart mm-hmm. and when you apply that kind of aesthetic to a film that, in my opinion, has a—I'm not saying it's a bad script, but a very
1: simple murder mystery. I mean, it is not as. Are you talking about Chinatown? Yes, Chinatown. Sorry, you, you, th- you think it has a very—you're not crazy about the Chinatown script?
0: Yes. Okay. I, I personally, I'm not saying that because okay. whatever. Okay. But I think it's—it's—it's it's, it's an oversimplified murder mystery. Like it thinks that it is, and that's why that twist at the end also doesn't work for me because it adds the first level of like. I don't know. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. But I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. So. <laughs> I don't know how so to continue.
2: explain it. I'm trying know. to coax this out of you with the first level of
0: what? First level? Oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you
2: just said the first level of what?
0: I said the first level? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember so. that. Okay. Uh, but anyway. Moving on. I, <laughs> what, what, what I don't... The reason why this movie, I should say, keeps me at arm's length, so to speak, because it's not even so much that I think that there's something wrong with this movie or whatever, but the reason why I can't get into it sometimes is because I feel like the, the, the existential dread that hangs over it as far as like Polanski's direction and really uh, milking out this story, it is such a simple story of just very simple business corruption up until it's not, and then it becomes about something much different, um, that I just don't, I don't know, I just, it's not interesting enough on its own, and that's half the reason why I think he rewrote the ending, because I think there is something to it that, like, you know, with a script like this, one movie I actually do compare it to, as far as I think they have similar narratives, is something like Inherent Vice, because it's about a kind of private eye that goes through by pulling one thread <clears throat> and coming across many things that, you know, he did not think that it was going to get connected to. But while the difference between those two movies is that when you connect the dots in this movie, that makes a circle, and, like, the circle's cute, but it's just a circle. Whereas, like, if you connect the dots in a movie like Inherent Vice, it's, you know, you can read a lot into it because then you can, it's like cloud watching. It's like, what is that shape to you? I don't know. But. When this movie is all said and done, I just I don't know what I got out of it that I don't get from, A, any other noir film, mm-hmm. so to speak, story-wise. And, B, like we were talking about earlier, the ending is not enough because of I kind of agree that it's not set up well enough for it to have the biggest impact. And so, therefore, it's like two different movies. I don't know. I'm just – I've never – it's so hard to explain because I just – I don't even know why I'm not a big fan of this movie. Mm. Uh, I just – I,
1: I just am not. It's weird. Hmm. Hmm. So, Tucson, how about, how, about, how about you after Nick just bared his soul about his feelings on uh, Chinatown? No.
2: I, yeah. I, I'm I glad that Nick did that because it allows me to like put in context like what I felt about this film. Because I have only seen this film, like, the first time I saw this film was like two months ago. And that was on a whim. That was on Netflix. And I heard it was one of the best films of all time. Roman Polanski, awesome script. Uh, Jack Nicholson, why wouldn't I go see it? Um, I watched it and I thought it was really well done. Uh, I watched it again. I still think it really does hold up. I think the costumes. I think that the the color design. I think that the setting is wonderful. I think that just anchoring in these this late nineteen thirties like seedy like Los Angeles underbellies. Like I really enjoyed that. Um, just reacting to what some of Nick's comments are is like I I don't agree on like the the disapproval of anchoring in Jack Nicholson's uh, perspective. I actually really enjoy that. Like I feel like Chinatown well deserves to be placed alongside like other film, film noir films, such as like double indemnity
0: and, uh, Casablanca. Yeah, I just watched Double Indemnity the other day for the first time, and yeah. I was underwhelmed by that too. Damn. Okay. Maybe you just don't like it's film noir. Still. I know, but what's weird about that is Billy Wilder is one of my like top five favorite directors of all time. So that was a case where I thought I was gonna love it, but I didn't. But anyway. Yeah. Um, continue.
2: The, the thing about Chinatown that I very much enjoyed, and I didn't notice until like like going back into seeing, it, is like it it lacks one thing that is typical of almost every single like film noir film whether it's like playing it straight or if it's like a parody and that it doesn't have a voiceover it, it completely like has a complete omission of that voiceover. And, and it, there
1: was one written for this film. I know and they, it was and they taken took it out yeah. and I'm yeah. glad they
2: did because they tell the, the entire mystery from Jack's perspective, like all those like scenes that we like seen like static shots and just like playing like this ominous music in the background. It allows me as the viewer to like transpose myself into his place and, What I liked is that this film didn't condescend to me. It didn't treat me like I was stupid. I was piecing this mystery together at the same time, and they didn't really, like, spell it out for me until, like, maybe, like, the end of the film. And I enjoyed the ride of being able to, like, try to connect the dots myself.
0: Now, when you say you were piecing this mystery together, my question is, is this a satisfying mystery to piece together? Like you know like there are a lot of uh, thrillers that i get off on like oh making that connection to here and there whatever but does this i'm just curious is this when you piece this together then you go whoa here's this the, blew he, my mind here's I'm the thing
2: curious. i don't think that it blew my mind i will agree that it does come off as relatively a simple core like conspiracy but what i liked about this was that i feel like at the end of the film that I didn't understand every single angle of this. I know that there's more than just Noah cross involved in this. I know that there are other angles to this whole thing. And I know there are other conspirators that will probably never be brought to light, let alone like even in the periphery of, of the, the police and, well, the, another thing that that I, I disagree with um, is the the presence of the existential dread, which is I think that that really does power home like what film noir that that's part of what I think film noir is. I think that Jake Giddis, like seeing him trying to like pieces all together and pleading with like his 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 fellow policemen to like just listen to him as he's putting together all this evidence, and they won't listen to him at all. It's because it's not just like. The powers that be of of like the the upper strata of Los Angeles, uh, like 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 social circles, it, it almost seems like an existential like crisis that the very universe will not allow the good guy to win. The shitty person, person will come out on top, but they will probably lose something in the end.
5: Yeah,
0: but then how is that different from other film noirs? I don't think that's different from okay. film noirs. I, that's think, I just wanted I, to make I think sure
2: that here, here's here's we. When, when you talked about this before, how it starts off in a prototypical way and then it kind of like diverges into this more humanistic bent. I think that I, – I I think that Chinatown took a different road to the same conclusion that most film noirs come to. OK. That makes and sense. And I, I – and for for my part, I enjoyed that that detour. Yeah.
5: yeah.
0: I wouldn't even say I, I agree with you because obviously I disagree because of what I just said. But I basically – understand exactly where you're coming from to right. about everything you just said. And I actually do think that's, that's it's understandable in the sense that that's why I understand why people claim that this is like one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I just like, and this is so bad to say, but like I cannot get it out of my head that when I finish this movie that I feel like I just watched roman polanski directing an episode of law and order like in the set in the 40s and i say that simply because that's like you know it takes a very prototypical case and then it adds the weird sexual uh whatever endeavor uh by the end of it and like that's what i can't shake because it's like it's not noir enough to be when's ice cube gonna show up <laughs> I think it's
1: ice tea, by the oh, way oh shit come on man Damn! don't be mixing your ices as- yeah oh, it's damn. 21 Jump Street you fucker you're oh, racist um, I'm pretty sure by the way I don't think Erin's ever going to join us for another episode she seems <laughs> mortified they just compared this to an episode of Law and Order no and
0: she's not going to be the only one Like everybody who's probably listening to this will probably now hate me so I- I'm really just making <laughs> enemies throw their
1: headphones across the room and shatter them all, um, all those people who don't listen to this will continue to not listen to it exactly. so. <laughs> but,
0: but that's what I mean as far as when I get to the end of this case um, I agree like that Law and th- Order <laughs> I agree that this does have an interesting I would say conspiracy complex to it yeah. but I also don't know that the movie does anything even with that like it leaves too much up for the audience like we have to go 90 and it only goes 10 to use a horrible reference from Hitch <laughs> I don't know why but that just popped into my head with Will Smith Continue. Anyway, that was random but I could not shake that yeah um, <laughs> I've now compared uh, Chinatown to Law and Order. Uh, Hitch, what else can I do in the next hours to get everybody know. to hate me? I don't know. Um, but uh, I just feel like that's where I stop reading into it, and mm. now I'm just giving it credit where I don't think credit is due. You think and so mean, much as yeah. you wanted
2: it to give you more room to like elaborate or even to like ruminate on these this conspiracy where you feel like you've kind of like tied it up for the
0: most part. And I think part of it also is maybe because I did watch Inherent Vice before I watched this as far as start to finish, and I do think that they are very similar, um, and one works for me and the other one doesn't, and sometimes it's a matter of, like, which film you see first, sadly.
2: That's sort of the the nature of classics, the the problematic nature of classics, is that you have to really, like, see them in the context of their time and what was surrounding them and seeing how they actually influence, like, I... I, I I would venture to believe that in some way Chinatown, through some strain, like through some thematic strain, actually influenced.
0: Like, oh no, I I can see bias. how mm. it did. Yeah, and so therefore that's where I can appreciate it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that by the end of it, I feel like uh, Polanski did as good a job with that material as you know, uh, Anderson may have done with that material. But I, I completely agree with you what you yeah. say about context because, for an example, I just watched uh, It Happened One Night uh, with Clark Gable and Claudette G- uh, Colbert mm-hmm. um, a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. And that was from 1930, maybe 1930 right. or something. And that is maybe the first romantic comedy as we know it today where two people pretend, not pretend, but think they hate each other, have to spend time doing each other, think that maybe they were just – You know, fooling each other the whole time and then end up getting back together. You know, that romantic comedy plot that you've seen in every single film since then and so watching that I had a similar Chinatown experience mm-hmm. where it's like do I like this because it was the first movie that did it or do I just be honest with myself and realize that I've seen films that do the same thing that are more to my liking mm-hmm. and it's kind of weighing those two perspectives so yeah. I, I am completely agree that sometimes context is everything and if I was a theater goer in 1974 when Chinatown yeah. came out I'm pretty sure I'd be bored over by this film, and it might be one of my all-time favorite films, and that might carry on from that moment on because of how I saw it the first time, but, you know, uh, so yeah, that is a big factor as to why I don't think that I particularly love it.
2: Art is a discourse. Like, every subsequent work is in response to the
1: one before it. Yeah. So, So Aaron, uh, I've seen you kind of being a little surprised by some of the things that uh, (laughs) Nick, especially, and Dusan were saying, so... Yeah,
3: I mean, I think... um, I don't know. As far as the plot, I think maybe you guys are minimizing it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause you really have two plots going on, right? You have everything with the water department going on and then the whole thing with Cross and this is my daughter. This is my sister. Like, I, I don't know. I really like the twist. I think it was, yeah. it was fairly well done. The one thing that I will say that, that I was a bit disappointed about was uh, Jake not really going into detail about what exactly happened in Chinatown. So, you know, they end the film with forget it, Jake is Chinatown, but what happened in Chinatown that really, they didn't go into great detail with that. And so I guess that's, that's something that I really missed. I actually
2: like looked up the, um the origin of that one line that he had, where it was just like, I was stationed in Chinatown. I was like, what did you do there? It's like as little as possible. It's like, right. it's a funny line, but the actual inspiration for that, I think it was from the, uh, the, the script writer who said that he actually knew a police officer who worked in Chinatown. And the whole origin of that line was that having been stationed in Chinatown, it was like so many people speaking like a different dialect and from a different culture that it's hard to actually like read the beats of like what's, going on there. And so to intervene as like a, like a police force, like you may inadvertently like
1: well, destroy
2: something or, or it, yeah. bring attention to yourself.
1: And that's, I think uh, I actually, not that I'm disagreeing with you, Aaron, cause I, I mean, it could be a, l- a little more clear cut and yeah, I think that would definitely. be beneficial to us, but I, I think it possibly could be something where he, he's meant to not understand what's happening. He's meant to not really be, uh, it's like out of his realm and that, uh, maybe he says something about his career as being a, a PI basically, and he's basically in way over his head, just like Joaquin Phoenix's character is for yeah. the most part mm-hmm. in Her I, Advice. I, where I do think it's above his pay grade for what he's doing.
0: Yeah, I do think that's one of my favorite parts of the film in the sense that. It, it almost says as the message that it's futile to go looking for answers because then you just have more questions. And, you know, right. and so, of course, that's what a lot of film noir movies didn't do because there was always, like, you know, back in the 40s, like, whenever the ending was, it, it could be ambiguous, but you usually knew exactly who the villain was at the very end and exactly who got off scot free, who didn't type thing. What was what's interesting about this whole uh, Chinatown ending and especially the scene that takes place, you know, like, um, on the strip mm-hmm. itself is kind of it's so chaotic in a way that a lot of film it, it, it's like a minute 20 seconds oh, long. Yeah. but a lot happens right in that minute and 20 seconds and it's and that's the kind of scene you don't see in a film noir because usually people have to like you know talk each other to death before like just putting a bullet in the head and that's it or whatever mm-hmm. uh, but the the chaotic energy in that final scene i think that's where maybe i'm starting to come up with more clear feeling as to what i don't respond to in this movie is that when i get to the ending i really do like that stretch of the film however then i wish i was watching that film from the very beginning because i don't know that the water uh conspiracy is an interesting lead-in to that uh I don't know sort of melodrama so hmm. to speak but I, I think that is kind of and I get that that's the point of the movie yeah. because that's, he didn't realize that he was stumbling right. into it so I totally get that it's not yeah. like it's going over my head well, but yeah. I just don't know necessarily that I want to sit through The water conspiracy to get to those fireworks because I just didn't find them, uh, or at least the connective tissue between the two, to be at least, uh, I don't know, enticing for me to revisit anytime soon. Not
2: only is he a water baron, he's also a pedophile.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, this felt less like a rabbit hole, which is, I think, what Polanski was going for, and more like a turn the corner. (laughs) You know, like he went down the alley and then he just turned the corner. Whereas if it felt more like, you know, he was truly getting deeper and deeper into this case, rather than just he was walking and then he just fell through the fucking floor, Mm -hmm. Um, then I would probably enjoy it just a little bit more. But I genuinely do love the the last... 30 minutes or so, mm-hmm. uh, basically when shit hits a fan and he figures that at least the biggest part of the case out and whatnot.
1: Well, and if, if we think about the characters too, as we, we've talked more about the story as a whole and not individual characters, we, we obviously say, see the film through Jake's eyes throughout yeah. as he's moving throughout the story and we're, we're seeing things from his, his vision. But I, I think it's interesting that there are almost surreal parts of this film when you see the other minor characters that come up that really... aren't aren't involved in in the grand scheme of things, but we see them as they show up, uh, like uh, the... Um, I can't remember his name. I always forget what his name is. But but the guy who pretty much works for um, Noah Cross, who keeps showing up as like he's a detective or or a police officer. He doesn't really have that many lines, but he keeps showing up for some reason. And we really never find anything out about him other than he gets his ass beat outside of that retirement home (laughs) by Jack Nicholson. That's a great scene. I love that. That is a scene that I, I was bringing up, going to bring up in terms of talk about the surrealness. About he goes into that scene and he pretty much is saying, oh, we're talking about dad, you know, I, I don't know. And yeah, can, you, I, can you tell people me? of the juice? Oh, we don't. Like, That's exactly what we wanted you to say. We exactly what you he want. To think. On this <laughs>
5: He's good. Could, <laughs>
1: can we also see your clientele like to know like who, who lives here? We don't love that. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. Like that kind of really weird way to talk. Like it's yeah. almost like these are not your droids. <laughs> oh, these are my droids. Uh, but he moves in there, and then he walks in and stumbles upon... Honestly, that's where he finds out the entire the entire plot bridge gets connected in that scene, which almost is inconsequential if you really think about it. It's the most bizarre scene that really shouldn't involve anything, but yet that's where all, in terms of the water... Uh, subplot or the plot much.
2: just a benign old lady
1: well and she's pretty much giving him everything that he possibly could get answered in terms of the questions and finds out who she is and oh by the way back in oh and here's this thing that i just happened to stitch this emblem right here it's like oh shit (laughs) well this is everything uh and i don't don't know i just love the surrealness of that scene and a lot of other scenes in this film we mentioned the polanski nose scene which is totally out of left field but it's uh, i one I of the most like
0: iconic image is of Jack Nicholson with the uh, you know the face tape on you know mm-hmm. and like that kind of image is so weird because that it almost looks like a still from like the Twilight Zone or something like because it's just it has no place in this kind of genre but that's Polanski's you know stamp on this thing is yeah. or the scriptwriter really but mm-hmm. I'm sure that's why he was attached to this movie uh, is that these these things just keep happening <laughs> whether you know he wants it to or not um, one of speaking of surrealism uh, one of the scenes I like is actually the um, the car chase of them on the horses and him through the uh mm-hmm. not that that's surreal as in it didn't happen or whatever but like there's something so weird about the idea that he's just driving through uh i don't know if it's not corn i think it maybe it's oranges or something yeah yeah uh you know to that and he's escaping men on horses like it's just this weird i don't know clash of you know man versus machinery that just you wouldn't expect it before that scene started but that's how that scene was gonna end and it does go f- uh, further to prove of how every time Jake thinks he's, you know, walking in a situation, a uh, apparently he's walked into a situation. B, um, so that's a, that's a scene that I really enjoyed.
1: And also something about this film that it, it shows its age a little bit, but I think also makes it great is uh, the genius move. Uh, it, and it's totally something because Inherent Vice has gotten brought up six times in this episode. <laughs> they I are could, very similar films. Well, they think, are uh, quite a bit, and I've only seen Inherent Vice once, so I can't yeah. really talk about that. It, it, you know that much about it, but totally something I could see Doc pulling off is being in the uh, the police uh, commissioners or whatever his title was, water commissioner's office, and saying, "Oh yeah, can I uh, get a business card if I want to call you?" and Just taking like a whole handful <laughs> of them and then using them to get access to other yeah. places later on <laughs> yeah. in the film, and it's just like that that kind of. Every man thing that someone would think, oh, this could work, and then it totally fucking yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing is that uh, Jake himself is not
0: the Mike Hammer type of film noir character, where either A, he doesn't really use brute force to get what he wants, and B, he doesn't just simply use the power of persuasion. Like, none of that shit works in Chinatown, the movie. Mm-hmm. So I do like what you're bringing up, which is that, yes, he the reason why he's a pretty good detective is because he actually is thinking about the case and everything, uh, literally every second of the way and that's why you able to come up with things like what you're talking about and that what makes him actually feel like a pretty defined character so I, I do agree with that
1: what if we saw somebody else playing this character we've talked about that numerous times with films like could you imagine somebody like marlon brando playing i was literally about to say brando
0: that's <laughs> just a hypothetical yeah uh, but no i wouldn't i mean i can imagine that somebody would you know think that and, and put him in there but uh
1: like, like, imagine a charming asshole, and I, I think uh, Marlon Brando is a good person that comes to mind. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it. In the
0: sense that, I don't even think it would be bad, in the sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that for me, Jack Nicholson, like, owns this movie so much as that's not what makes this movie this movie. Uh, but changing the role, I would think, does nothing for the film, and therefore, you know, I, I can't think of anything better than Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And who does a very good job because he does – he is able to, A, play that kind of masculine, uh, noir, you know, just feature that he has. But also he's got that wonderfully unhinged, playful side like when he tells the – it's one of the cops, right? When they say um, something about like what happened, he goes, oh, your wife, she closed her legs too tight or something (laughs) like that. You know, (laughs) Um, just little things like that that, you know, come right off his tongue in a way that feels natural to him that like Marlon Brando probably would not be able to like, you know, like – I don't know. Make it cuz he's a funny guy mm-hmm. and what not. Um so that's why no I I can't imagine anybody else.
3: And I would agree. I mean, he makes those kind of scenes so organic, and even when he was doing, he was telling the joke, and Fade on Away was standing behind him. That's such was, a great scene, that was but awesome. I Man. just can't imagine anybody else doing something like that and pulling it off well.
0: Yeah, that, that scene, yeah, that you just brought up with the joke, that is one of the most, like, that's actually one of the most Jack Nicholson moments, where, like, nobody else can do that kind of, like, it's not overacting, but there's a certain energy, like manic energy, that only he can uh, can provide in a such a ridiculous uh, joke like that
1: another uh, early scene actually that uh, also reminds me of Jack Nicholson in this film is the uh, the scene in the barber shop where, he, where he's getting his uh, he's getting his face shaved and someone is complaining about his job and he stands up you fucking think you're better than me right. what, what you, what's this problem I, this is what I do for a living making an there.
5: honest living
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> making an honest yeah. living well I don't put it in the newspaper yeah you just hide it from people it's like oh fuck yeah go Jack <laughs> you tell that you and your eyebrows tell that man who's boss yeah yeah So does anybody else have any other uh, things they'd like to talk about uh, before we get to our final ratings of Chinatown?
5: Mm,
1: No. No? No. Okay. Well, Aaron, you started us off. Uh, we give our rating out of out of five. So, okay. um, if you have a, a rating of this film and final thoughts on it, this would be a With good time for half that. star increments in, ca- oh. in case you needed to utilize. Okay. I'm just just so you know, it's on the table. Yeah, in there case you is. want to give this a half star, like Nick would. No, so, right. I was
0: just saying in case you wanted four and a half or
1: something. Oh, like okay.
3: That. Well, I would say you know, based on the wardrobe, cinematography, casting. Um, like we said, there are some holes in the plot, but overall I would give it four stars. Yeah.
1: That is a good rating. Yeah. Um, I, I also would give this film four stars. Uh, as I, I mentioned, I feel like when we get to the final 20 minutes or so of this film, I feel like I'm not invested enough in all of the characters that are involved in the final showdown. Uh, and even though I, I think that was obviously done on purpose as they're trying to do that, uh, I wish they would have got Noah cross involved a little more because I think it would have made the final scene and uh, the final act of the film uh, even better. That being said though, uh, kind of what Aaron was saying, something that we didn't hit on at all. We'll talk about the costumes is this is a uh, pretty much beautifully done costuming film uh, and really uh, period appropriate in terms of how everybody looks. Uh, and, and, other things, technically, with this film—the cinematography, the lighting, um, the scenery, even uh, some of the set design choices—are uh, just fantastic and really make this a, a great film to always look at and i i really do enjoy the story of this film too even though uh, as i mentioned i think the uh, the final act could be a little bit tighter and a little better for my taste uh, i enjoy this film as a whole and i uh, i would sit down and watch it again especially since it's on netflix and it's so accessible yeah, yeah. so four out of five for me uh, for chinatown well, I, I'll just get it out of the way. I,
0: I give this three out of five stars. Like, I oh, know okay. it sounds like I'm extra harsh on it, but I guess that probably comes because of its reputation. Mm-hmm. like I'm, you know, I'm fighting things that you know, I hear people rape about, which I understand why they rave about. But it's not that I don't enjoy this film. It's just there's so much about it that I want to enjoy more than I just do. Uh, because I've been making an ass out of myself this whole episode, I'm going to continue this tradition. You really probably play. hate the Godfather too asshole godfather 2 or the godfather 2 don't
2: start him (laughs) don't
0: um well you know what Uh, really quickly the first time i watched (laughs) the godfather i was not i didn't love that movie and now i do
1: the first one it's a masterpiece
0: it is and i agree but it took me to so maybe the second time i watched chinatown and this did not deter me from watching it again or anything like that um but one thing i was gonna say and i think really quickly to bring my inherent vice comparison <laughs> oh, to a here cl- we go I know Come on. but this, this is because this will be the last time I'll ever say it yeah. um, the reason why I bring up that movie as far as what I get out of both of these because I once again they are similar uh, as far as narratives you know Um what works for me in Inherent Vice is because by the end of that movie, the whole existential dread or a conspiracy that's on high or whatever works for me because by the end of it, he literally knows nothing. Mm. And that's why it, like the film itself supports that throughout the whole entire – Doc doesn't stumble onto an incest plot. It's something that has <laughs> you know the gravity of what we see in the last 30 minutes of Chinatown. So be, that's the reason. When we get to that 30-minute uh, stretch at the end, I feel like this did – Come to a conclusion that the film wasn't actually heading towards. And while I enjoy it as a self-contained story, um, I feel like it actually debunks this whole, uh, you know, question lead to more answers and vice versa, because it's a good thing that, well, not a good thing, but he, you know, knowing that piece of information is actually a pretty big deal, and he's better off for knowing it because he, you know. So, because it's, I don't know, I, I can't buy fully into the idea that mm-hmm. this is a great example of a conspiracy or whatever, because there is some dark shit going on, and he figures out what it is, and mm-hmm. and nothing's the same after it happened. If mm-hmm. it somehow it stayed in the. Now, I don't mean nothing's the same, mm-hmm. but it. It is true, though. I mean, A, she's dead. B, that girl is probably scarred for life. C... And she also has
1: to now live with Noah Cross,
0: right. probably. And C, Noah Cross's character presumably is, like, running away, right? I mean, he's not... Or no...
1: I don't think so. Okay, I think he's so going he to stay there because he's going to fucking collect his winnings from okay. that huge land deal he's pulling off.
0: That Okay, but it's... And as much as it's, like, the bad guy's win or whatever, it still feels like too much shit went down for it to feel like that, you know... Taking on this case uh didn't have an effect on this world mm. you know there there is nothing about the whole looking into a conspiracy that feels futile about this film because it did go somewhere, and while he didn't have control over it, he you know detectives really do They're all they do is pull on a thread it's not their fault when the blanket unravels so because it does end in, in this melodramatic place I that's why I'm just I, I don't know I can't, I'm i still wrestling with my thoughts on it but um, I give it three and I you know the more we've talked about it today the more I want to rewatch it not immediately but mm-hmm. you know the, I give it another chance especially now that I do know how every single piece fits together and watching it so I'll, I'll pass it off now but that's all I wanted to say and uh, this has literally been my greatest cinematic shame as far as like nah. no no I'm just saying like I I think that's half the reason why I put off watching it because I kind of had an inkling that I was not going to like this as much as I thought I would hmm. when everything about it is up my alley so mm.
1: anyway. I, I think you should go check out the uh, the sequel the two jokes <laughs> uh, no let's not do that
2: uh, <laughs> oh, we'll do that I've I've really enjoyed this episode not only just because we were talking about Chinatown the guy I, I really enjoyed you were on it I know I I just really enjoyed I was going to say, this. I think
1: this has uh, been the most Tucson's gotten to talk in the last like five or six episodes. We so try to keep that really to a limit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I like this uh, this back and forth between me and Nick, because I feel like we're on two sides of the opposite coin, but we're also just coming at it from just like two different readings. Ebony
0: and
5: Ivory, living <laughs> in perfect harmony.
2: You had to go there. Anyway, um... <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to to disagree with
1: you. On what the, the fuck, you on, on, on the on wow. the on the on the futility wait, of way wait, um, way to just ruin the microphone. I'm yeah. so sorry. You say that every time. Man. Yeah, because you you do it every time. <laughs> well,
0: if you didn't say it, then maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Anyway, back that to my point. That doesn't make any sense. Please, I know, continue. but <laughs> just happens. go with it.
2: Okay, um, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on the uh, the the futility of. Of of the outcome of this, like you may think I'm wrong, but I also (laughs) think you're wrong. That's okay. Um, I I think the the futility of this does still stack up because he wasn't able to get all the answers. I don't think he solved the entire mystery. I think he was able to amass like enough information that he thought that he could actually make a difference, but ultimately he wasn't able to save anybody. He wasn't able to stop that. His job. (sighs) Forget it, Nick. It's Chinatown, man. (laughs) It's just not. It's just Chinatown.
0: It is.
1: Yeah, it's not his job.
2: man. he makes an honest living. You know,
0: he
1: does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he probably got paid from all this, so man. right.
0: I mean it, man. It's just another file collecting dust in a desk somewhere. Yeah, that was my noir voiceover attempt. Yeah. And that's film
4: noir. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's the whole, that's film noir to me. I'm going to give this a uh, a four out
1: of five. Whoa. <laughs> Definitely. Again, sorry. with the microphone. They I know, I it. did that on purpose because I just wanted to annoy <laughs> you. I'm sorry. Um, I really, Succeeded. I really
2: enjoyed this film. Uh, I, I Going back to something that you said before in, in your reaction and just like how you entered into this with the expectation of like classicism, like like surrounding it, right? That's also how I felt about this film. Like it's it's hard to... When I'm talking about this film and I'm giving it a four out of five, like it's it's hard to kind of like separate the film from its reputation. Like whether or not, am I judging this film on the merits of it on its own, or is it just the reputation of this film since 1974 compounding of on itself from the accolades of like many other critics and many other people who I respect and other filmmakers who really enjoy this film? Like, am I just viewing it through the rosy lens of their recommendation or are I seeing it on my own eyes? And I can say that like on this film on its own, like it's not, perfect i don't think this film is perfect but i think that this and i also don't think that this is the the all encompassing like prototypical like film noir film i feel like this this deserves to be a part of a curriculum instead of just being the default text of film noir um i think it it stands on its own i think that for 1974 i think that it did do something different in that it took a detour like going back to what i said before and getting to the same road and i enjoyed Mm.
1: that so yeah Mm. i think pretty clear that we were all fans of uh of this film some more than others Mm -hmm. nick um but hey you know at least you you gave it a a, you know a a respectable rating you weren't hating it but you just uh you know it's been kind of a kind of a thing with you recently. With we talked about films that were classics. Like we give it a critical tussle. Just like, oh, there, there'll be blood. I feel like yeah. Again, I mentioned this. Give that
0: like four out of five stars. Three and a half, I think. I think I don't think so. Okay. Well, I think we should go. We're gonna check. have to check
2: the board. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna go have out. to check the uh, the hit list. Maybe it was three and a half.
0: Okay. Anyways, But that's a really quick. Paul Thomas Anderson is like my favorite director, so that's pretty much mean that like I love it as much as probably I love a lot of other four and a half. Movie. Mm. That's just, I have high, high standards.
1: Mm. And also, why you've spent this entire episode talking about inherent vice. Exactly. So yeah, yeah what movie um, are we
3: reviewing?
0: <laughs> I think we were reviewing
1: Predator 2. Too, so.
0: No, we're not.
1: We're not going to review that movie. Oh, uh, man. Someday we'll do a Predator episode. Yeah, just
2: to get over with. <laughs>
1: Uh speaking of upcoming episodes on our next episode uh, we're going to have uh, our third top 6 film uh, episode with our top 6 revenge films mm-hmm. um it's Whoa. kind of a loose uh, loose uh, thing but yeah. uh it's a revenge in terms of the storyline between the main protagonist and antagonist uh, involves revenge somehow and uh we'll be talking about our top 6 In our next episode, and it'll just be me, Nick, and uh, Dusan, I think, is Kenny uh, is not going to join us for that one now. Even though he tucked his game like he was going to come back. What the hell, Kenny? uh, He's not going to be back. I guess we'll have to get
2: revenge. Dun, dun, dun.
1: Anyway, so there's that episode to look forward oh, yeah. to. I don't think Aaron's ever coming back, guys. I'm I, sorry. Yeah, good to meet you. We're, <laughs> we're sorry. Goodbye. We're sorry. <laughs> it's all my fault. Oh boy. But uh, speaking of Aaron, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for thank having
3: you. me. I know we're thank joking you. around, but it was a lot of fun. Awesome. So, and,
1: thanks, guys. That's all, all we could really hope for is that you enjoy being the show. And, and thanks for suggesting Chinatown because yep, I, I, I don't know if I would have brought this up as a, a film to do anytime. Soon. I sure as hell would have. Just kidding. Inherent Advice, though. Uh, yeah, I oh, was yeah. going to say. Now I just really want to go home and watch that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a two month in inherent or not inherent vice, but a two month Paul Thomas Anderson. Where we're going to do don't a film of him every every. Tease week. me.
0: Yeah, we've
1: already done one. So and <laughs> we'll, it's
0: true, and that was your pick too. It wasn't yeah. even my pick.
1: Yeah, well, there will so. be blood. Is his best work. So
0: really, honestly, I don't talk about Paul Thomas Anderson that much, as much as I talk about Paul Verhoeven.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's true. It's true. That's true. I'm all about the Pauls.
2: It's your next Paul Verhoeven film that you want us to watch? We're, oh,
1: we're, we're, yeah, we're not doing any more, are we? No, listen, Alex, we're doing Black Book. Okay, cool. Whatever. <laughs> so, anyways. I like uh, Black Book. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you want to catch our episodes anytime, you can find us on Film Tank Show. Uh, dot com. You can also find us on iTunes, and again, you can yeah. find us on Stitcher. I have Woo! no idea. You
0: know, I sent them an angry email like, <laughs> like three months ago? No, like three months ago when I was originally trying to get them to fix it, and then I sent them another one. I think I was drunk, and I sent, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not kidding. It was like 1 a.m., and I'm God. like, those fucking assholes. And so I sent them another angry email saying, why haven't you fixed this? I mean, I didn't really care, but I just thought, hey, what if somebody knew? this? And lo and behold, it's And then like three weeks later, this happened, and now it's Back and it's working so yeah now you
1: can you can because of my uh, alcoholic tendencies you can now <laughs> you can now get back and listen to us on Stitcher yeah or iTunes or our website you could also email us if you have a top six uh, revenge list and you want to email it to us at uh, filmtankshow at gmail.com you can do that if you oh. email us I just want to say like yeah. before that episode comes out we'll
0: read it on that
1: episode for sure so do that people I think you should if you <laughs> would like to and also uh, you can find us <laughs> on Facebook no do it guys okay Just find us on facebook <laughs> twitter and instagram at film tank show so from nick cheney to sign again uh, again thank you to aaron silk for being on the episode and myself alex diegman uh thank you very much for listening to this episode we will catch you next time see you guys every week with this shit man <laughs>